Hi friends, I'm Christine Dynes, Integrative Epigenetic Health Specialist and host of the WellExamine podcast. WellExamine is where science and discovery meet human intuition and wellness to help everyone claim sovereignty over their health and vitality. Each episode, I'll chat with the most clever minds in integrative health, biohacking, and neurolinguistics, as well as reputable citizen scientists across all facets of wellness. As the world begins to take their health into their own hands, never before have we so badly wanted second, third, and fourth opinions. WellExamine serves to offer alternative treatments, ancient traditions, and the latest medical research with a measured dose of objectivity, levity, and a fun bedside manner. Hi friends, today I'm in New York City with the beautiful founder of Antara Life, Carolyn Rasmussen, and we're talking very NYC things, you know, burning the candle at both ends, long nights and early mornings. I actually just got here today off the red eye and I'm staying in the financial district, and as soon as my feet hit the street, I was right back into that pace of the city. For listeners that don't know, I grew up in upstate New York, and I live in California now. And after not being in the city for a while, I've realized I've definitely become California-ified with that more slow pace. If you are here in New York especially, but really anywhere, craving a more balanced rhythm of life, you will so relate to what Caroline is going to bestow on us today. Antara Life, dubbed Nature's Pharmacy for the Mind, Caroline's company is definitely an extension of her life. So Caroline's story, let me tell you a little bit about it, and then she'll tell you the full story. Caroline traded her work-hard, play-hard life that she's described as toxic down on Wall Street for a total transformation of self-evolvement through neurogenerative integrative wellness. And Antara was created out of her innate knowing that her life depended on a healthy upheaval. So Caroline, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming to meet us today. I'm so excited to be in the city and hear your story. So I always ask well-examined guests to kick off our discussion by telling us about your Ike guy. And for anyone who's listening who's not heard of that concept, this is the Japanese version of life's purpose. So tell us. <laughs> I love that Ike guy. Um, so my Ike guy is really bringing the natural resources, as you mentioned, that we have for healing and for improving our lives more to the fore. Um, you know, I think... There's a lot of focus on the external, the external environment, the external expectations and achievements and the aids that we can kind of use externally to optimize and biohack and what have you. And those things are great. Yes. Um, but I don't think there's as much focus on the internal environment and the internal resources and natural ways that we have available to us to also optimize. Um, so Antara actually means within. Um, and it's very much focused on, you know, natural things like herbs, obviously, are from nature. Um, but I also view the internal resource of the mind as really our most powerful tool that we have yes. for repatterning <laughs> and for transformation. Um, and ultimately, it's about bringing people back to the importance of that inner world versus the outer world. And really these kind of very analog, you know, OG ways of self-improvement um, that I think can make a real difference in, in our busy modern lives that we have. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. So then your story of how you got to where you are now is incredibly reflective of so many of my East Coast patients from all my years in private practice. Can you give listeners, say, a little bit of a taste of your days on Wall Street and how that eventually caught up to your health? 
Yeah, it was it was not a good time. <laughs> I sort of fell into the Wall Street lifestyle, you know, without thinking too much about it. Um, it just was kind of what everyone else was doing out of college. And it seemed like a good way to make money. And I just kind of went with the flow, so to speak. I overheard a conversation down Downstairs. there in the financial yeah, it's very district, common just in New- like yeah. you're saying right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is nice because it means more people are realizing it. <laughs> um, but so I started off in an investment bank and then I got in, uh, interested in the legal aspects of the of the work of the private equity industry. So I went up, I got my law degree up at Harvard and then I came back and I started working in big law here in the city. Um, and I was doing really well on paper. You know, it's it was a very good job, very satisfying to my Asian parents. <laughs> I had a nice paycheck. I had the New York lifestyle. I was doing well at work. Um, but I was just getting really, really burnt out and anxious and depressed and more and more neurotic. Um, and my mental health in retrospect was like declining pretty rapidly. I think, you know, there's some people that are meant to be lawyers and that's great. But for me, it really kind of zoomed me in too much. Um, made me lose perspective, made me not be able to kind of stay in touch with the big picture and what was actually important to me. Um, there's a lot of pressure not to make, you know, a very costly mistake that could potentially end up in a lawsuit. The hours are pretty bad. And especially if you do good work, your hours tend to get worse because you get more work. It's like being (laughs) the best teacher. Yeah. I mean, the reward, you know, for, it's just more cake, you know, and at a certain point you don't want to eat any more cake. (laughs) Um, but I was doing that. And in retrospect, you know, I I didn't even realize how unpleasant it was and how much I didn't like it, to be honest, until my dad was diagnosed with early onset dementia and Parkinson's. Can we talk about that? Yeah. 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 Is that the pivot point when you, (laughs) that was absolutely the pivot point. Yeah. uh, Neurodegeneration. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it just wasn't on my radar at all before. Um, and part of the reason for that is I had no history of it in my family. Um, I didn't really know anyone, which is actually incredible thinking about it, but I didn't know anyone really that was personally affected by it that was close to me. So when that hit sort of out of the blue for my dad, when he wasn't even 60 years old, oh wow, yeah, um, it came as a real shock. You know, now I'm 30, I'm almost 34. So he was diagnosed, you know, 20 years from, like it would be 20 years from today for yes. me, which is really, really early. Um, it's, and it's a really terrible thing to see. So it just kind of, you know, on the positive side, I guess it shocked me out of, of what I was doing. And that was very much the pivot point of me getting interested in learning about the brain in changing my lifestyle to avoid going down that road. Um, and the first step that I did with that was actually, I quit my job. Awesome. Um, and I went back (laughs) home to, uh, (laughs) Uh, which I'm not saying, you know, people have to quit their jobs or that Wall Street or that your big law is a bad thing. But for me, it just obviously wasn't working. And so I just stepped off the treadmill and went back home to Thailand and started learning about the brain. Oh, you went back to Thailand. Ah, okay. So you completely left the city. Well, I'm from Thailand um, and my family was there. So I did, yeah, I completely left the city and I went back to Thailand and So the way I started learning about the brain was, you know, as a lawyer by training, I'm very kind of familiar with documentary research. And I certainly was reading the books and reading the studies and and, um, the abstracts and all of that. But I also, from a practical perspective, started learning via herbal medicine and sort of consciousness therapies, I would call them. Oh, I love it. Um, These are really, you know, in Thailand and in Asia generally, I find that 
there's much more of a mind body lens to help people think about wellness. And there's also much more of like a preventative lens. Like they're you, treating symptoms is definitely something that you would much rather less do than prevent the symptoms. Yeah. In the United States, it's a pretty foolish proposition to get the disease and then do something about it when you have all, uh, you know, you have the power to remove the epigenetic barriers. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting they call it a healthcare system because it's a <laughs> disease care system. Yeah. You know, they're not, you know, it's starting to change with functional medicine, integrative medicine, but um, the way it's set up is, is historically for the past, you know, however, however long has been, it's starting to come apart a little bit at the edges. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Agree. Yeah. I've, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you agree. Yeah. Journey over the past 20 years. Of yes. that, but more so in the past five years. I've seen then a combined 15 years. So I see it moving along it's hopeful. a lot faster right Yeah, now. it's really hopeful and it's good. And then you start to see insurance covering more kind of preventative things. And that's really important in a lot of areas, but it's, it's especially so to me in terms of the brain health, because one of the first things that I found out that I had no idea about was that the pathology of dementia and these neurodegenerative conditions generally they actually start in the brain decades before decades you before. see yeah. anything. Um, you know, if you think about it, it's like a heart attack. It's probably not that you were living your best life and then you suddenly had a heart attack mm -hmm. out of the blue. It's probably, you know, you had some type of lifestyle where the problem began in your vasculature years before and, and here you are. So it's very, very similar with dementia, which is logical. Yeah. So let's get into this about, um, you know, you and I both know and agree that we could change our lives by changing our brains. And I always talk about this, you know, from a neuroepigenetic perspective with my clients. It, people are still so surprised to hear that proposition. So let's talk about how the brain informs the rest of our physiology and how inflammation can influence us neurologically. And then how the concepts of neurogenesis and neuroplasticity regenerate the brain. Is it possible you could maybe give a few examples using yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, inflammation is basically at the root of, of most chronic diseases and dementia is no exception there. Um, you know, the brain has its own immune system. It's sort of the brain, uh, immune cells of the brain are called microglial cells. And just like immune cells elsewhere in the body, when they get activated, you know, unfortunately, the way it kind of works is it's not a targeted strike on the, you know, invader or the pathogen, there is some collateral damage to the surrounding tissues. Yes. <laughs> um, and which is why inflammation and that immune response is kind of designed to be like, you know, like one of those tide markers that you use on stains. It's not designed to be that you're throwing everything in, you know, the full wash cycle all the time. But unfortunately, that's how, you know, things are running for a yeah, lot of us. That's a good way to look at it. Um, but as it relates to the brain, if this is going on, what's happening is, it's basically speeding along nerve cell death um, and it's making the connections between the nerve cells more rigid and less plastic. Um, and, you, and you can, it's also kind of affecting the mitochondria of the nerve cells so that they're producing, you know, they're producing less power, less energy. And you can see that with brain endurance actually going down mental stamina. Yeah. So when people have brain fog and, yeah, you know, they're exactly. burning the candle at both ends, this is exactly the process that Caroline's talking about. Exactly. So I was very much an example of that. And actually the other manifestation that you can really see today, whatever age you are, is what I mean by that is, 
just the mood changes. And again, I was yes. absolutely an example the of that. The mood changes. I see I mean, that so much. <laughs> I was certainly, you know, mildly to moderately to more depressed. And what's so interesting, you know, in addition to those those things, those effects that I've described of inflammation, another thing that it does is it disrupts the supply of neurotransmitters, one of them being serotonin, your kind of happy neurotransmitter that all these SSRIs are designed to keep active and keep flowing in the brain. Um, so what happens is nerve cells normally make serotonin from this precursor called tryptophan. Um, and, you know, when the microglial cells around there are angry and activated, they can instruct those nerve cells to basically make other byproducts like kynurenine being one of them. Um, and the reason that matters is, A, you've now got less serotonin, so you're going to have those mood changes and those sleep changes and appetite changes. And B, kynurenine and some of these other end molecules, they're, they're, they're neurotoxic, so they're, they're going to then poison the nerve cells and sort of perpetuate that cycle of inflammation. This is where I talk to my patients about how they will talk about, I feel so anxious, yet I'm completely exhausted in white oh my gosh. And this points to the process you're describing now. I mean, I was there. Absolutely. Exactly. So that, that is the, that's how it works. And even something so simple as if you, for example, go and have maybe a few too many drinks one night and the next day, you know, you're, you're feeling kind of hot, you're feeling kind of down, probably you're not the sharpest that you've ever been. That's brain inflammation. Um, and What's really gratifying and nice to see is that inflammation just in general is obviously very much talked about now. Um, things like gut inflammation in particular, unfortunately, because so many people have struggled with it. Um, but it's still a little bit less known, the effects of brain inflammation and the existence of brain inflammation and actually the um, interrelatedness of brain inflammation with gut inflammation and how it's just all systemic. Um, a lot of people, you know, they don't realize it used to be thought that the brain was kind of walled off. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, now it's known and hopefully it will continue to be increasingly known just mainstream in the culture um, that if you're inflamed elsewhere in the body, it can very, very easily get into your brain. Um, and the same mechanisms, if you're familiar with leaky gut and with gut inflammation, generally the same mechanisms that are degrading your gut lining, which is made of these tight junctions that can kind of basically get kind of loose and allow big molecules through that shouldn't. Literally, it's the same, uh, it's the same makeup of your blood-brain barrier. And so those same factors, things like alcohol, things like stress, um, that are going to make that more permeable are going to happen with your gut and it can also happen with your brain as well as inflammatory hormones just generally circulating in your system and your bloodstream and those also go right through as well, we now know. So... You know, it's it's a whole, it's very much connected, um, but, you know, the good aspect of that is there's nothing extra really that you need to do for your brain health, really. Like, it's just kind of the common sense, make yourself feel better steps that you can take to just increase inflammation, decrease inflammation generally that are also helping decrease brain inflammation. Yeah, Caroline, I bet everybody wishes that their doctor knew as much as you did. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline, you definitely qualify as... Uh, one of our citizen scientists, that's a huge uh, discussion that we have on Well-Examined, where the information isn't out there uh, or being 
dispersed by the people you would think it should be, mm-hmm. like your healthcare providers. If you went to a GI specialist right now, um, I'm sure that you would be leading the discussion. Well, that, I love that concept, the citizen scientist. And that's very, you know, when I went back to Thailand, I started diving in and I'm kind of an, like a micro personality and type A personality. <laughs> so I guess I just lend myself to that. But I think it's it's so important. It's really important for everyone. You know, if you're, if you're lucky, you can find a great doctor, but they still are only as good as A, the information that you're giving them about what's going on. Um, so being alert to what's going on, both mind body, and then B, if you actually have at least some of the knowledge of what, you know, what's actually happening physiologically, you can really help direct that discussion. And it helps even the best doctor out quite a bit. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the best doctors, they're not maybe as common as they should be. So it's its really, I think it's really important to kind of, when you can, if you're curious about something, just take the two minutes and and look into it. Yeah, it'll, it'll accumulate. You're touching on an interesting point that I want to get into and go further along this trajectory to discuss mindset. So there's this really noteworthy study from Stanford I've referenced to my clients about how the mind informs physiology. And I noticed that you've shared this study on your website as well. So let me tell everybody a little bit about it. So in the study, participants were informed that they possessed a particular genetic predisposition, suggesting that they had low exercise capacity. Although this wasn't necessarily true, the participants' actual genetic risk, the participants' bodies began responding to the perceived information accordingly. In my practice, you know, I teach my clients that mindset is everything and that healing the brain heals the body. So, you know, for me, I love how the field of neurolinguistics shapes our perceptions. What's your take on this study and how it influences the power of mindset? That study was so great. I mean, I think it's, it's, a, it's something people care about. They relate it right to their lives in terms of, you know, exercise and how they're eating. Most people care about those things. Um, but it's, it's such an amazing demonstration of your mind affecting your body in a very direct, pretty rapid way. Um, and it's a nice, different way of demonstrating it um, to the, you know, many studies that are already out there about how experienced meditators and yogis can influence these autonomic processes like pH, you know, heart rate, all of that. Um, it's, you know, we're so holistic in the way we're designed. Again, it's just incredibly intelligent, the design, oh, yes. and we can talk about this all day long, but the reality is <laughs> we don't even know the beginning of how, you know, everything is working, which is wonderful. It's, it's so interesting and fascinating to me, but we can't think a thought without it affecting our physiology. So I've seen and talked to so many people, you know, especially here in New York, they're spending so much money on the personal trainer and they've optimized their diet to the nth degree. And they've even, you know, they're getting all the massages and they've managed down their schedule and they're just so laser focused on their health, but they have this tape running in their mind where, you know, they still don't have the big enough house. They still don't look the way that they should be looking. The stories we tell ourselves. It's crazy, yeah. but you know, and what they're doing there, um, it's not only unpleasant, but they're setting all their efforts back and they're setting all their expenditures back um, because it's it's at this point, it's definitely not some like speculative woo-woo science that stress and negative emotions and negative thoughts are translating biochemically into real physical effects. It's very much known, um, you know, 
it's interesting. People think of cortisol. People know cortisol is a stress hormone. Yeah. Um, but so people are like, oh, cortisol is bad. <laughs> uh, actually, cortisol is an anti-inflammatory hormone. Yes, that protect you. <laughs> yes. Um, so most people don't know that, though. Yeah, it's amazing. It's anti-inflammatory. But what happens when you have too much circulating all the time, um, your tissues just become desensitized to it. So in the case of your immune cells, which are responsible for the inflammatory response, which is so kind of foundational to the aging process and so many things, they will become desensitized. And so they will continue to pump out these sort of age promoting, disease promoting levels of inflammatory hormones. Um, and when you, you know, you're thinking these negative thoughts, then you're releasing the chemicals that make you feel that way. And then you think more thoughts that sort of reinforce the way you're feeling, you're just creating that loop. Um, and it very, very much has, has impacts on, on the physiology that we've seen. But on the positive side, uh, what people should focus on actually though is, you know, because there's that impact on the negative side, you actually can equally have, you can equally use that plasticity really in that mechanism, that feedback loop to change it for the better. Like that is within your control. Yeah. I definitely find this to be true when I observe people's genetic charts. For example, there's a genetic variation. You're probably familiar with it. It's called COMT. And this has to do with our fight or flight hormones and dopamine where fight or flight hormones are kind of, if you, if you have a certain variation, a snip in this gene, it's almost if your fight or flight hormones are sitting there in a pool and then it could just spill out at any given time. So, you know, people like you were giving the example of cortisol, people might look at that as negative. However, people who tend to meditate or they're, you know, creating a different story, they're really self-aware of what they're assigning value to in their environment, who also have this variation, they tend to be people who are productive, more creative. Uh, they have multifaceted careers, you know, things like this. So it is very interesting to see how, you know, when we change our mindset, it influences us literally at that genetic epigenetic level. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. I mean, just to backtrack a little bit, epigenetics, you know, it's just not about the gene. It's about how the gene is expressed exactly yes. as you're saying. Um, and, you know, even things like the uh, Alzheimer's gene, the so-called Alzheimer's gene. Yeah. Yeah. There are certain configurations where, you know, it's, their probabilities are much more higher than the next, much higher than the next person. Um, but there's a whole, and even in that case, and certainly the whole range of cases where you may have some predisposition, it's all about the expression, the expression of the gene that you're influencing with your lifestyle and you're influencing with your mind, with your thoughts and your, your mental emotional complex. Um, kind of the, another classic example, you know, is the sort of old Herbert Benson relaxation response example. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's so old, but it's just, you know, it's a no, good talk one. About that. I don't think a lot of people know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So it's, um, so Herbert Benson, let's see if I can even remember. He took a group of people that were experienced in, in doing this relaxation response, which is very simple. Um, it's basically kind of filling, filling yourself with a positive um, thought, positive emotion that you have some conviction around, and then doing, you know, a relaxing body scan, I would call it, from the, from the feet to the head. I mean, you do this obviously repeatedly. So he took a group of uh, people that were practiced um, in doing so. And then a pe people that had never done that, 
um, and compare their gene expression. And after eight weeks of MBSR training, I think it was, um, the the gene expression of the people that had that had just learned in terms of, you know, their inflammatory biomarkers, things like their cell regeneration, um, you know, all these things that are involved with aging, it had substantially, you know, essentially the same as the people that had been doing this for a long time. So even in a relatively short period of time, but with something that's so simple that it almost sounds like, you know, not that what it would that it would do anything. You really can can really make these material uh, improvements physically in your health. Yeah, that's why new parents should uh, <laughs> take relax. note. And want to, <laughs> yeah, the part of parent training, you know, should want to teach their children. This is you know part of teaching our kids to be self-respecting, self-loving, self-aware, yeah. so that they can actually cope and actually live in the real world today with so much more you know, information coming in at the epigenetic level, like you're saying, something so simple that could change our entire physiological state so quickly so we could respond instead of react is just so fascinating and awesome. I think you actually bring up the, the, the parenting thing. It's, I was reading something recently that was looking at, again, it was, it was a bit of an older study, but it was looking at kids in Guatemala um, and other kind of, you know, less developed countries where they obviously didn't have cell phones and certain TVs and all the kind of tech Ooh, I love that. stimulation that you're referencing um, that's coming at a so high velocity. Um, and then th they looked at just their sensory perception and just their level of conscious awareness, what was going on in terms of what was being said to them, what was being asked of them, what was happening uh, among the adults around them. And they found that they were 30% more aware of, of on those metrics than kids that were growing up in these industrialized, you know, more, more privileged, more fortunate environments where they had supposedly more access to resources, te technological resources for the most part, and less access to nature. Um, and, you know, your, your subconscious and your mind-body complex is getting an incredible amount of information coming in all the time that you're not even consciously aware of. And the way you, if you become more aware of that and you can modulate that, you know, on purpose, it's so much more powerful and you're working with so much more of an information base to change your life. I love that. Yeah, so I thought it was really parents, cool. Take note. <laughs> <laughs> um, so through your studies and healing journey, you've worked with, you know, so many integrative health experts, brain nutritionists, both Eastern and Western herbalists. So I want to talk about Antara yes. and the formulations. So was your dad a willing participant to help with all of your formulations? <laughs> yeah, he was. I mean, I think when you're in a situation like that, you kind of were like, yes, sure, help me. <laughs> um, and he does trust me. And, um, so you know, sweet. I was working under the guidance, obviously, of, of people that have been doing this for a long time. And I was also using a lot of the herbs myself. <laughs> so he trusted me. Uh, yeah. And, you know, from the beginning... I wanted to make sure that the line was addressing both short-term brain problems that plague people and the long-term problems that can crop up, which as we've talked about are super related. So that's mm -hmm. how uh, we ended up with the, the Neurotropic, which is a focus and energy product for you know everyone. And then the anti-aging sort of anti-inflammatory product, which is also for everyone, but you kind of have that 
immediate effect versus like you want to make sure you're setting yourself up for the future and as well reducing that inflammation for today. So it's very much hand in hand. And, you know, in terms of the uh, guidelines for uh, actual formulation, um, it really was just clinical efficacy and bioavailability is the key things that I focused on. Perfect. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it should be basic really with any yeah. supplement. Um, but you know, it's, it's great that their herbs are becoming more used. Um, but it's not always basic when it, when it comes to some of these all natural products. Um, I, what I think people, you know, you can hit a lot of these clickbaity headlines of like, New study shows that ginkgo does X amazing thing. But you, when you look at the study, you have to look at, well, what form of the ginkgo are they using? And then how much of it are they using? Um, so virtually, you know, ginkgo is actually a drug for cognitive issues in places like Germany because it's, it's really good for microcirculation, peripheral circulation, and just a bunch of other, you know, antioxidant effects and, and pro-brain uh, health effects. But this, the form that they're using in the vast, vast majority of these studies is uh, ginkgo leaf standardized to 24% glycosides and 6% terpene lactones. And they're using 120 milligrams of that. Uh, what's interesting is actually if you use more, sometimes you start to see a different effect. So for anybody who's not familiar with standardization, it's where you take a particular part of an herbal compound and you're using that and you're testing at what percentage it would be therapeutic in studies. Exactly. So I know a lot of people aren't familiar with the idea of standardization. No, yeah, yeah. It's important. Yeah. So, you know, certainly the formulations were inspired by traditional Ayurvedic and TCM, you know, herbal preparations, but ultimately the final call was based on these hundreds of clinical studies now um, that we have on most of these herbs and looking at things like exactly what you just said. So another example is uh, ginseng. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to make clear, I'm not against like raw milled herbs at all. I think they certainly have their place and I incorporate a lot of them. Um, but for this, I just wanted to really make sure they're clinically proven to kind of do what they're claiming to do. Sure. Um, and just going back to the ginseng, um, the extract that I use is standardized to 10% um, ginsenosides, which are the compounds that are shown to actually uh, help facilitate the release of acetylcholine, which is a neurotransmitter that's important for mental speed, mental processing, um, and just accuracy. Um, and it's clinically proven to do that versus a lot of these products on the market. It's just raw mill ginseng, and it's an infinitesimal amount, which, again, I'm not saying is bad, but it just may not be doing what you're looking for. Well, let's face it. A lot of people right now, they are still self-seeking. They aren't always working with a functional medical practitioner or, you know, a Chinese medical practitioner. And so for something to be standardized, it's a guarantee. Whereas the other, you know, uh, form of the herbs that you're discussing, that really should be under the advisement of you know, a, a practitioner because it's so personalized when you're getting herbs in those forms and more complex overall. So, you know, you're offering something that has been tested among a wide variety of people and what's, you know, what it says is in the bottle is in the bottle. And That's a great way to put <laughs> it. That's a really great way to put it. Um, there's actually two points I would make around that. Um, one of them 
to exactly kind of the one of the factors that you were just saying that you'd want to be under advisement is the extract that I use of ginseng, it's American ginseng. Yeah. So great. there's over, you know, there's over 200 different species of ginseng. Um, one that you see a lot is Panax ginseng or Asian ginseng, which also is stimulating and has a, an effect on neurotransmitters, but it's very heating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in China, often it's given to more elderly people that really need a lot more help than maybe you or I are needing today to just get our, through our day. Yeah. So I was just yeah thinking about, uh, I have a lot of uh, clients who are leaving their 30s, entering their 40s, mm-hmm. who, you know, do the whole corporate workhorse thing during the day and then CrossFit at night. And right. they've been taking all these workout formulas, right? And they are suffering from HPA axis issues, uh, aka adrenal fatigue. And, you know, they'll say, oh, but take it X, Y, and Z. And, you know, you'll notice, like you're saying, it'll have all these warming, heating (laughs) herbs in there that are completely inappropriate. So one size fits all adrenal remedies are like such a terrible idea. I mean, it's not, it's such a terrible idea, I think. I mean, these herbs all are, you know, they can be super therapeutic and have their place, but certainly... I mean, there's no better way to put it than what you were saying earlier. When you're using them in that way, you just want to make sure that it's personalized to you and that it's, it's being personalized to you by someone that kind of knows. So the other thing with a lot of those, and typically they're coming in just kind of these free powder formats, um, you'll notice a lot of them have these proprietary blends that they list proprietary blend Um, that word which (laughs) yeah it's such a yeah so that's something that one of my guiding principles was to not go down that route because essentially what you're doing yeah I mean people should look at this but essentially what what's happening is you don't know what you're taking right so the, the rule is all you have to do is list the amount of the proprietary blend itself and not provide the amount of the individual herbs that are constituting that blend drives me crazy yeah so you could be getting you know 10 milligrams of ginseng or you could be getting 250 you don't know and you don't know the parameters you know if it was standardized at all or anything like that um so that's the other thing to be careful with um and why personalization and working with someone can be really valuable um in in that context but you know just bringing it back to the brain foods, having the clinical efficacy and having the standardization and having the dosage control by virtue of the capsule format um, was something that I, you know, it just just kind of was the obvious thing for me. Um, And capsules are also super, you know, convenient, just remembering my old lifestyle and, you know, people are on the go and they need to incorporate this easily in their lives. Not all of us can mix our potions and and tonics every day, multiple times a day. and the, and the other thing that I think I mentioned was bioavailability, which is obviously hugely important. Hugely that's important. Everything. Yeah. That's yeah. The crux it really is everything. What we're talking about here with the nutraceuticals. Yeah. It won't be clinically effective, obviously, if you're not absorbing it. Yeah. Um, so the good thing is, you know, there are some raw herbs that are quite bioavailable. Macuna purians is a great example. Um, it goes right across the blood brain barrier and it takes effect really quickly for most people. Um, but there's a lot of herbs that unfortunately are not. And <laughs> the classic example kind of is turmeric, right? It's the curcumin. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. That's a good so, example. That's I mean, a great, it, obviously relevant example for people. Yeah. I mean, 
turmeric is great and you know people consume it just as kind of like a curry spice in india and they do have lower rates of, of cognitive issues and clearly there's something there it is worth noting that they're often consuming it with a fat and they're often with consuming fat, it with, with you know piperine which is the absorption enhancing yeah. compound from black pepper but even there often what it's doing is it's sitting in your gut where it can do a lot of good, but it's not passing through into your bloodstream where it can circulate systemically in any kind of therapeutic amount for any length of time. Um, you know, your body's a metabolic machine and it metabolizes in the case of curcumin right out. So you're kind of peeing a lot of it yeah, out. Peeing basically. A lot of it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, if anybody wants to uh, go and look into that further, there actually is a really good article on Caroline's website about blood brain barrier on the Antara website that I saw the other day. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah. I try one. to put out content that, um, that is informative for people, but, um, yeah. So, you know, in the case of my formulation, I knew that about curcumin. Um, and so I specifically chose a form of curcumin that uh, is shown to be almost 300 times more bioavailable than this, you know, just standard That's fantastic. raw curcumin. The reason for that being is it is lipid encapsulated. It's encapsulated in a fat. Um, that delivery technology was designed by UCLA neuroscientists specifically for the brain. Very cool. Um, so it's, it's, I was like so excited by this. It was yeah, like, it was shown to we get, can talk about that. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, uh, all day. it's shown to enter the brain within three hours after you take it. And then if you keep taking it, it's shown to remain there in a therapeutic amount to actually bind to and remove amyloid, um, and, and therefore decrease inflammation, uh, in the brain. Um, and obviously people don't only care about the brain, but it's in the brain. It's obviously in the rest of the body as well. And that's such a powerful, powerful effect that's been seen now in multiple human trials. And I think you want to look for in Thank trials. Thank you for saying that. Is, yeah. it, is it in people? Um, and so that, that bioavailability was, was really key for me. Yeah, that's awesome. What you said about removing amyloid deposits. That's just so revolutionary. Yeah, it's it's the it's really amazing. So it's shown to directly bind to and remove tau and amyloid, which are these proteins that kind of accumulate like kind of gunk really between neurons and inhibit communication between them. And then the, their presence there just sort of, you know, the amyloid burden generates more inflammation just from that presence there. So when you can remove that, which is a process that your brain actually is designed to do naturally while you sleep uh, through your lymphatic system, just like flush all that crap out while you sleep. Um, if, if you can basically keep that going all the time, it's a really powerful, uh, it's a really powerful thing. Yeah, this is a conversation that I have a lot with neuroscientists and uh, neurologists when they're, you know, kind of old school and... <laughs> They tell families, well, there's really not much that uh, we could do for your, you know, family member and, you know, something so simple and so inexpensive that has such a significant paramount effect. Yeah. I mean, obviously, preventively goes a lot further, but, right. you know, this just is another, we talk about inclusive wellness and seems that people who are beyond age 50, they're out of the conversation. <laughs> no, it's, it's, there's, I don't know if you've heard of the Bredesen protocol. I'm not familiar um, with that. Which is very much inclusive of people that are already experiencing MCI, mild cognitive impairment, um, and even further along the road. 
Um, and what they're seeing is they can reverse some of this stuff. Um, and part of it is related to dealing with the actual amyloid. But, you know, even if by that point you have quite a bit of accumulation um, by adopting, you know, just a lifestyle that is, you know, obviously this, these, this is a priority for these people, like the priority of their life. So they're really, you know, they're probably going beyond the Mediterranean diet. They're now in the ketogenic diet and they're, you know, full on all cylinders addressing this. But even with some amyloid burden there, which you obviously do want to remove, you can reverse symptoms, improve symptoms. So uh, it's it's very hopeful and it speaks to, you know, I think a big part of it is the, actually the mind, the power of the mind and dealing with these other mechanisms that are also, despite some of the pathology already existing there, improving the expression of that in, in life. Yeah, even uh, Dan Bootner, the, mm -hmm. yeah. you know who he is, the National Geographic fellow who you know, discusses blue zones, the, the research that you're referencing right now, that can be traced to all of the blue zones, mm -hmm. which, hello, the whole rest of the world should take note from. Absolutely. But can you say what the protocol was called again? It's called the Bredesen Protocol. Um, and it's quite, you know, it's it's a full lifestyle thing. Um, but especially people should, I you know, I've actually met what the, what he refers to as patient zero. So, you know, you can't, it's hard to make claims and you got to be careful when you're kind of on the front lines of any medicine. Science is very conservative and, yes. and you don't want to get in trouble, right? But I've actually met a woman who she flew, she was like a high-powered consultant. She flew from LA to like Texas or something, I think it was. And she got there and she literally cannot remember what she was doing there, who she was going to see. It just like hit her out of the blue like that. And she had to basically quit her job. And, you know, a lot of people, the whole write-off people after 50 attitude, it would have been, you know, over for her. Um, she did this protocol and when I saw her, you know, however many years after she started it, she was sharp as a whip. She was teaching us, you know, all the, all this material, showing us everything she had done. And there was no, I, there was no suggestion. I would never have guessed that she had ever been impacted. Oh, I love that. That's by so these. cool. So I've met someone like that in real life and it's just really exciting. Yeah. In real life. Yeah. <laughs> in real life. <laughs> I love it. So then I guess in closing, I would ask, uh, as far as neurogenerative and mindset science goes, what advice would you personally offer for people who are just diving in? I know we've gone over so many topics. We talked about bioavailability and, you know, in some of my previous podcasts, I've talked about how to access research. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you were your, you were a beginner at one point yourself. So what would you say to anybody out there who's just kind of diving in, who wants to prevent neurocognitive decline? Um, I would say work on ways of increasing your awareness. Um, and it's not just to prevent neurocognitive decline. It's to make your life better now as well. For me, kind of obviously for me, the, the best way that I recommend for people to do that is to start a meditation practice or to, you know, deepen your meditation practice if you already have one. Um, but, you know, if meditation doesn't appeal to you at all, just find a find any type of way, a different way to become more aware of where you're placing your attention, because that's really your superpower. Um, you know, just to reference, I guess, the last study, 
you know, back at my old alma mater, Harvard, they took, you know, people that had never played the piano before and they had one divided into two groups. One of them played the piano, just a five, you know, five finger simple exercise for two hours a day for five days and had the second group do the same exercises, but only mentally, you know, rehearse it only doing mental rehearsal and imaginary rehearsal. Then they brain scanned these people and they found the same growth of neural circuitry in that area that's responsible for fine motor, you know, movement as the people that in the people that had actually done it versus the people that had done it with their mind. And that's the power of attention, focused attention. And so if you can become more aware of that, instead of just getting automatically swept away by, you know, you wake up and the first thing you're thinking about is your to-do list and all the people you have to see and places you have to go and your attention's really fractured. If you can start to reclaim that, um, you really are, you know, taking control of basically recreating your life and directing your thoughts, directing your emotions. Um, and that's certainly going to help you now, obviously. And it's, it's definitely going to help you, you know, if you're concerned about things like cognitive decline in the future. Oh, my daughter's a piano student, so she's going to love hearing that. That's exactly what she <laughs> well, she's does. Doing she's it. practicing. Yeah. yeah. But I love what you just said about fractured. I know that there will be people hearing that because it just had an impact mm. on me. I wish people who are listening could see the looks on our faces when you said that, my response. It just, yeah. it makes a lot of sense when you put it into those terms like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, where you place it, it where you place your attention, that's where your energy is going to flow. You can't help it. Right. I mean, it just makes sense. Um, and people can get so overwhelmed and they can say, oh, but I can't, con I can't control it. Like I can't stop myself. I can't control my monkey mind. I can't control my anxiety. But what's really interesting is if you ask them, you can ask them to think about an event that makes you anxious and they're like, okay. And they're like, okay, so dial up that anxiety that you have from like a seven or whatever to a 10. And they're like, okay. Well, if they can do that, they've bought into the supposition of control. Yes, exactly. If you can dial it up, you can dial it down. And it's the same with your monkey mind. You know, distraction is a habit, just like any, anything is a habit in the brain. Um, focus is a habit. So if you just decide you're going to change your habit, it's very much, you know, in your ability to do so. And I know meditation, it can be difficult for people. Um, it was difficult for me initially, for sure. Uh, quick tips there. You know, I actually think TM is the gateway drug, I call it, of yeah. meditation. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. You know, some people are like, what's the present moment? Like, what do you mean focus on the present moment? So it gives you like a nice actual <laughs> verbal anchor to focus on, which can be really helpful. Um, I actually find olfactory cues can be really helpful like find a nice essential oil or just some kind of smell related cue that can cue your mind to like, okay, it's time to break now, but there's ways to do it. And if you just decide <laughs> you can do it. I mean, like most things that are worth having or doing, you know, it's maybe not the easiest thing, but it's worth it. Yeah. You're just uh, reflecting what I discussed with some guests recently who are neurolinguists. They talk about the monkey mind yeah. and making a decision Yeah, and creating a different story. And it really does start with, you know, a decision on what you're assigning value to. Most people that quit smoking, you know, they don't quit with nicotine patches or, you know, this or that. Just like if you want to increase your focus, sure, like, like a nicotine patch, you know, Adderall can help you and herbs can help <laughs> you in a much more sustainable way. 
But ultimately, just like those people, 90% of whom just quit cold turkey, it's, it's up to you. You know, it really is up to you. Yes. It is. It's up to you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the wisdom from the plant kingdom and bringing it all yeah, to us. Yeah, this was such a fun conversation. Your personal story. I know it's going to really inspire a lot of people, definitely. I hope And inspire so. them to help their parents and to uh, light a fire under their asses and help their kids so that they, you know, find this to be their way of life, bringing awareness. Hopefully uh, it's information that's motivating for people. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Christine.